three billion people who are Christians around the world will be celebrating Easter today. Five continents, every ethnicity, virtually every language around the world, a worship leader will stand up before the congregation and the worship leader will express his profession, his witness, and the congregation will respond. This will do today when I say Christ is risen. Christ is risen. And we'll add something. The word hallelujah is never translated. In every language, French, Italian, Spanish, every language, it's always hallelujah. So as we give our witness, Christ is risen. Which means praise be to God. To summarize Christianity, in just a few verses, in fact, only two, you could open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll look at two verses there that in a very succinct way tells us what it means to be a Christian. Dark 30, this past Monday, I got up, coffee, glass of water, opened the book, and I began to read the Easter story in the Gospels, as I have many, many times. As I was reading, I said, you know, Easter is the most important event in history, and then I thought back what I did before Christmas. I opened the Bible and I started reading all the Christmas accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and I said, no, Christmas is the most important event in history. You can't have it both ways. Either Christmas or Easter or Easter or Christmas. So I tried to put it together and this is what I came up with. Christmas is the most important event in God's history. What do I mean by that? All the prophecy, all the promises over thousands of years came together when divinity visited the earth. God took on human flesh, bang, Christmas, Messiah has come the most important event in God's history. Easter is the most important event in mankind's history. Why is that? Because Easter tells us that there is the promise of life after this life. And so as we look at the simplicity of what it means to be a Christian in two verses in 1 Corinthians 15, let me tell you something. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the great chapters in the Bible, and it clearly tells us, answering questions, making proclamations, what Easter is really all about. 
Here it is, verse three and four, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, for I delivered to you as, as first importance, number one, what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried according to the scriptures, and on the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures. That's it. Death, resurrection, death on the cross. Now, what is that all about? Well, we wear crosses, we talk about crosses. What is it? The cross is that moment in time in which God's son took on all the sin and the trash of the world that had accumulated in your life and in my life. I say that reverently, but Jesus on that cross was a garbage collector, a garbage collector. Somehow all the ugly, unseen things that we have done, they were placed upon Jesus who was perfect and at that moment, amazingly so, Jesus quotes Psalm 22. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did God turn his back on Jesus there when he most needed him on the cross? I'll tell you why. Our God is holy and he cannot look on sin. And therefore, when all of our mess was placed on his son, he looked away, and the Bible tells us that Jesus at that time went into hell. What is hell? That is where God is not. Jesus did this on your behalf and on my behalf because the wages of sin is death. Jesus took all the results of your sin and my sin upon himself, and he died the death that we deserve to die so we can live forever the life that he deserves to live. That is the miracle and the beauty of forgiveness and grace on the cross. And then we come to the resurrection. You say, well, Jesus came back from the grave. No, he didn't. Jesus was stone cold dead and death can do nothing. It was God the Father who raised him from the grave. And therefore we're here today to shout and to explain our witness, Christ is risen. And we, absolutely. Now we look at here in this passage and all of us come to the point and say, you know, let's just be real here at Easter. Let's, let's get down to business. Did this really happen? Is it a myth? Is it a legend? It is what, well, we hope it happened. Let me tell you something. This is absolutely a historical fact. And Paul deals with that. You say, okay, the father raised Jesus from the dead. He was dead and he was brought back to life again. How do we know? Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. There is no fact in all antiquity that has been examined as thoroughly so many times by every scholar almost who has ever lived. In fact, there is more evidence, if you're a historian, if you're an anthropologist, there is more evidence 
that God raised Jesus from the dead, then there is evidence that Julius Caesar ever conquered Great Britain. So how do you get evidence? How do you know? There are a couple of kinds of evidence. First of all, there's circumstantial evidence, forensic evidence, and then there is empirical evidence. There's eyewitness evidence. How does this operate? Very simply, if you've ever been to law school, I hope many of you have not, <laughs> but if you've ever been to law school, you've learned about evidence. Evidence, circumstantial evidence is simply this. You wake up in the morning, you look outside, you see rain is falling, you may hear thunder, you may hear lightning, and you hear it on the roof, and somebody's coming in and they have an umbrella, you see rain falling on them on the umbrella, and they come out, they fold the umbrella, and they come in and you notice they're wet. That is circumstantial evidence, ladies and gentlemen. You say, well, it, it seems obvious to me. I saw it, I, I witnessed it on somebody else. I heard it on the roof. No, that is circumstantial evidence. Now, if you go outside in the rain and you look up to heaven and the rain falls on you and the rain falls on your clothes, that is personal experience. That is eyewitness evidence, two kinds of evidence circumstantial, which is strong, and then absolute empirical evidence that you saw, that you experienced for yourself. See the difference? And you have that right here in the Scripture. Right here in the Scripture. Let's just start with circumstantial evidence. Let's just say on that Easter morning that we got up early, and you and I had the privilege of walking in to the place where Jesus was buried, and we would walk in, what's the first thing we'd see? We would see a stone, about two or two and a half tons, had been rolled away. Now, one account, historical account, tells us it not only had been rolled away from sealing the tomb, but it was rolled uphill. Two million, two tons, two and a half tons, that's a pretty good feat, is it not? That's the first thing we'd notice. And then if we knew anything about what happened at the burial, we know the Roman seal had been broken. Listen, anybody who broke a Roman seal in that day, they would immediately be crucified upside down. Boy, the stone is rolled away. We'd see that. Man, the Roman seal, I wonder what happened. And then perhaps we would look in the grave. Mary, the two Marys were there. They did not do that. They ran and got Peter and John, you remember. And Peter and John raced to the tomb to see what in the world was going on. John outran Peter. Peter had had too many fish and chips, and he finished second. John looked in, and then Peter looked in and went in, and what did he see? He would see what we have seen, an empty tomb an empty tomb. He would see clothes there, still in place where Jesus had been wrapped in, and there'd be a little indentation, and he's gone. And maybe they would notice the napkin had been placed over his face, was over to one side. Probably that we would not calculate that, but that would tell to any Middle Eastern person that when you get to eating, you just put the napkin down. But when you get to eating, if you fold that napkin, that means 
that you're coming back to eat some more. So that folded napkin, somebody in observation would see he's coming back, but the grave would be empty. You say, well, what about the Roman soldiers? Wasn't there a squad sent there to make sure nothing happens here at this place that we're done with him once and for all? A Roman soldier who would leave his post would be buried alive. So you didn't have many people wandering off if you had pledged your allegiance to Caesar. So you see all the precautions that were taken by the Romans and the Jews to make sure this was there. Now that is used, giving us even more circumstantial evidence that Christ has risen. And that is the forensic evidence. But what about the second category? Paul lists some of them right here. Jesus was raised from the dead. He walked on the earth for 40 days. He made at least 11 recorded appearances to all kinds of people. The road to Emmaus, two people he hadn't known, he appeared to them. Uh, he appeared to his brother James, who had thought he was a little bit out of it, and his whole family, remember, had backed away from him. And he appeared to James, and James subsequently became a leader in the early church. Amazing thing, his brother. Billy Graham said the fact that his brother James, who didn't believe in him from the get-go, believed in him so completely, that was plenty of evidence for him. And then he appeared to the apostles in the upper room. And you remember Thomas wasn't there. I love Thomas. He was A-W-O-L, absent without leave. And when the other followers of Jesus told Thomas, old doubting Thomas, let me tell you something, he is alive. Thomas said, no, I know, he's stone cold dead. Something happened to you people. You, you, you've lost it. You, you're out of touch with reality. You, you're, you're illusionary. But then a second time, Jesus appeared to those apostles and Thomas was there. And Thomas had said earlier, I'm not gonna believe this until I see in his hands the print of the nails and see that where the, where the sword went in his side. I'm not gonna believe till I experience that. But when Thomas saw the resurrected Lord, he didn't check out his hands or his side. He just fell down and said, my Lord and my God. Appearances, empirical evidence, eyewitness accounts. And then finally, and there's 11 of them, he appeared to over 500 men. It's important to note that they only recorded men in that day. We, we can be sure that three or four women were there, also some teenagers and young people. They would not have been counted. And all of a sudden, here's him who was dead. Now he is alive. He appeared before 500. How strong a witness is that? If you're an attorney and you got only a six-minute testimony from each one of those 500, you would have 50 hours of eyewitness empirical testimony that he who was dead is now alive. Let me tell you something. Bring on Alan Dersowicz professor from Harvard, and I can't plead anything. I can take that forensic evidence and that empirical evidence and eyewitness evidence, and I believe I'd win the case in any honest jury in the world. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. 
but we still have other questions. And it's the questions that we ask. It seems like Paul could anticipate those. If you look here in verse 35, you see the questions that some people right here are asking this Easter 2023. It would be, well, resurrection. You know, that's, I've never heard of such. I just can't believe it. I mean, death back to life. I mean, resurrection's a strange thing to me. And then we'd ask the question, well, if, if there is a resurrection and I had trouble believing that, what kind of body would we have? What kind of body? That's the question that are asked. And the first question is, well, I don't know about this resurrection business. Paul says very clearly in this passage in verse number 34, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they have? And Paul says, you fool. I didn't think that's the foolish question, did you? He says, resurrection is a natural thing. It is. Listen to how he explains it. It's beautiful. He says clearly, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but bare grain, perhaps wheat or something else. If God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of their own. Resurrection strange to you? No, no. Every plant, everything that's alive came from a seed that died, that was buried. It came back a totally different thing. Here's a little seed, it becomes back a turnip. Here's a little seed, it comes back a tree. Resurrection is a very common thing in nature. It is a natural thing. What about a caterpillar? Boy, what in the world could a caterpillar ever be? It goes in that little cocoon and it comes out a beautiful butterfly. Resurrection, all in nature. Resurrection is a natural thing. It is there for us to observe in all of life. It goes in a seed, the seed has to die. Otherwise, the seed will just be there, but it is buried and it dies and wham, there's life. Totally different from the seed there. So resurrection, Paul said, it's a natural thing. Said, what kind of body will you have? Paul says in verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars for star difference from star in glory. Then verse 42 so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, this is the old body, yours and mine. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual, a supernatural body. If there is a natural body, this one, there is also a supernatural, a spiritual body. Did you get it? It's so clear and evidential and obvious. I've got a shot for everybody here. All of us are going to die. I don't care how you take care of this temple, and we should, how you eat, how many vitamins you take, all the health precautions that you take. All of us are gonna die. 
every single one here. 100% guaranteed. Anybody want to debate it? It's clear. And I'm going to tell you something. Resurrection is natural in nature, but resurrection is also supernatural because in Jesus Christ, he was given a resurrection body. Remember, he just walked through the wall, though it was physical. Remember, he fried fish by the Sea of Galilee. He ate fish. He could be touched. It was physical as far as we could determine, but also it was supernatural. And when we die in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you, you know, that, that voice, that essence of who you are and who I am, you can call it a soul or a life, that remains this old house is deteriorated and we get a resurrection body, the prototype of which was the body that Jesus had in his resurrection. And that supernatural body is equipped to live with God and heaven forever. People always, will I know my family? People? Yes. And in heaven, if we have five senses now, we may have 20, 30, 40, 1,000. Think about it. We'll have creativity. We'll be able to do that which we've never been able to do, and even more so in God's divine assignment for us in eternity with this body that is made to live in eternity. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. So it's important that we see that resurrection is obvious around us. You say, well, you know, I know only Jesus. Absolutely, that's the evidence. He is the first fruit. He's the first out of the chute. He is the first who leads the Easter parade for all of us who in Christ, we can be confident that to be absent from this body, we'll be present with the Lord in our resurrection body. All of you, all of me, redeemed, changed, clean, alive, creative, dynamic, powerful. Resurrection is natural. Resurrection is supernatural. And by the way, resurrection is practical. It's very practical. And it's right here in the scripture, right here in the Bible. What does Paul say? He says very clearly, he said, this perishable, we got that, must put on the imperishable, our resurrection body. And this mortal must put on immortality. Then he says, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then it is written about the saying, here's the phrase, death is swallowed up in victory. And then there's a, I don't know how to say it, sort of a childlike, yeah, yeah, yeah thing Paul says to death. He said, death is swallowed in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. What happened to sin? Jesus took care of our sin on the cross, didn't he? And he said, and the power of sin is the law. Jesus kept the law for us on the cross, didn't he, when he took our place. But he said, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me tell you why the resurrection is so, so practical. If it calls the resurrection, Easter kills death. 
Is that practical enough for everybody? Easter kills death. And death is swallowed up. It's eliminated in victory when we graduate to be with the Lord in heaven. What a beautiful promise. What a beautiful truth affirmed by the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He led the way, he's a drum major, and all of us will follow who are in Christ in that Easter parade. Most of us who live in this area, we know the name of Case Keenan. Case played football at the University of Houston. He holds today every collegiate record virtually for quarterbacks who's ever played college football. You may not know that. Passes, completed, yardage, touchdowns, it's still his name is in the record book. When he graduated from Houston, he was not drafted by a single, a single NFL team. His arm wasn't strong enough, he was too short, a lot of reasons, not drafted. He's playing golf, football coach at the Texans, saw him, Kubiak, and he said, Case, what are you doing? Oh, I don't know. I want to play football. He said, well, come over. Let me see you throw. And so he saw him throw, and Kubiak saw something in him that you think everybody would have known with that collegiate record, but they didn't. And he said, well, come on. And he signed him, and he played what I call, not on the roster, but on a, a joining team. And, and then he was traded to the Cardinals, and he wasn't on the roster there. He was just sort of awaiting and then you remember our two starting quarterbacks, bang, went down, boom. We had to finish the season. What quarterback knows the plays? It's the quarterback who used to be at Houston. So Case is squirrel hunting, squirrel hunting there in Missouri. He gets a call and says, hey, come to Houston. You're gonna start for the Texans this Sunday. And so he comes, wins two games, End of the season, didn't quite make the playoffs. He's traded again, and then he is in the NFL. He gets a chance with the Minnesota Vikings to start, and he plays almost the entire season except two and a half games and does a phenomenal job. One of the leading quarterbacks in the NFL, and he takes him all the way to the playoff. They win the first playoff game. And then they're playing, you remember, New Orleans, Drew Brees, all-pro quarterback, Hall of Fame. He's the other quarterback in case he's playing. Minnesota is way ahead the first half, I think 24 to nothing or something. The second half, New Orleans comes back, and they get the lead by one point at the end of the game. Now, I'm watching this game. I watch most of those games. When I have somebody out there I know my son or my granddaughter, somebody I'm related to, when I'm watching that game, and today when I watch the Texans, I'm a Texans fan, I get excited. I mean, I'm at home on television, and you'd better sort of give me some room. I mean, I, I, I'm excited, I talk about the officials, I wonder about the play, and I'm all, I mean, I am in it. I am passionate, passionate. I think you can believe that. And I'm that way through the whole game. Man, my pulse is 180. I am into that game 100%. And I say, when are we gonna lose? You know, what, 
30-something seconds on the clock. We get the ball back, one point behind, way in our own case, completes a pass or two. And, and now there's about nine or 10 seconds left in the game. Last chance, maybe you complete a pass, maybe go out of bounds, maybe kick a field goal, but you know, it's over. And I am violent, I mean, I'm uptight. And he fades back, throws the pass, completes it to the only person that could catch it. That was Diggs and he caught the pass and he turned, instead of going out of bounds, he turned and went in the end zone and they won the game. Oh, overwhelming, the crowd goes, crazy. It's called the Minnesota miracle. The Minnesota miracle. Whoa. Now, I watched that game a couple of days later, just cooling it, you know. Before I really drank a cup of coffee, when I got a snack, you know, pulse rate, 68, 71. You know, good game, no problem. Get to the end, I'm just as cool and calculated as you could imagine. We won the game, man, that's terrific. What was the difference? I knew how it was gonna come out. I knew that we would have victory. In Jesus Christ, death is swallowed up in victory. Christ is risen. Heavenly Father, what a day is Easter to remind us that death was crucified, our sin was crucified, and death was killed on Easter so that those in Christ may live forever in victory with you in heaven. Lord, if there's anybody here today who has not received you as their savior, confessed sin, turned from sin, and said, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. May this Easter be that moment when they make that most important decision that can ever be made. Father, use this invitation. Some who are Christians may feel, you know, this is where I need to go to church. This is where I can be fed and challenged and nourished and make a difference in this broken world. So as we sing this very simple chorus, no one moving, no one leaving, I pray the Lord will lead someone in the top balcony, middle balcony, downstairs, choir orchestra, will be bold enough to come forward and say, I'm coming to Christ. I give him my life. May this be that time of decision. Young people, adults, singles, couples, families. Lord, use this moment we pray in Jesus' name. As we sing, no one moves, no one slips out for any reason. Only those who are slipping out to come forward and make a decision and say, I want this church, this Christ, to be in my life. As we sing this chorus, as God has led, just get up and come. Just get up and come. He is Lord. It was Easter Sunday I came. Single adult, family. You can sing it. Every
we're going to do something that's going to call for response. Everybody's here. So, well, I, you know, I don't know. Let me tell you something. I hardly talk to anybody without them saying, what's going to happen in America? What's going to happen in the world? Then to say, what in the world can we, I do? What in the world can I do? What in the world can you do? Let me tell you the answer to that. Our little niche, our little area of influence, if you and I, if we're in Christ, we've received him in our life, make him, listen, Lord of your life. That means commander in chief, in charge of, running, operating, your life and my life. Say, Jesus, be Lord of my life. We won't be perfect, but we'll have that center to that core of saying, I'm going to let him control my mind, my heart, my actions. We won't walk around the pulpit, Bible under our arm. I'm not talking about super piosity. No, I'm talking about a genuine life that says, Lord, you, you run this thing. And if we say, Lord, run my life, he really will. And when that happens to any one of us, all of a sudden, we'll begin to change the world. Because everybody who knows you and me, they'll see something's happened. Everybody knows you and me, they see that you know. Edwin's different. Bill, Alice, Tom, different. Because we're just simply saying, Lord, you're on my life. You be my Lord. If you would like to do that today, would you stand to your feet right where you are? Yes. 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 I want the Lord to run my life. That's a good choice. Anybody else? I'm a Christian, but man, I I want him to run it. He's going to make a difference. He's not going to run to the ground. I'll tell you that. He'll run into life. God bless you. Super. I just want the Lord to run my life. That's all over. Yes. 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 Man, all of a sudden, (laughs) things will happen. (laughs) Lives will be changed. (laughs) People wonder, what in the world's going on? I'm just asking the Lord to run my life. That's all I'm doing every single day, every single way. You see, Christ is risen. risen Christ is risen. risen And all of us said, hallelujah, hallelujah.